You're listening to The Right Process, a podcast in which one writer tells the story of creating one work from concept to completion. I'm your host, Charlie Jensen. The Right Process is brought to you by the Writer's Program at UCLA Extension, helping you reach your writing goals one page at a time. Enroll now at uclaextension.edu. Hi, I'm Moisés Zamora. I'm a TV writer, and I'm currently working for Star on Fox. Mexican-American writer Moises Zamora lived in the town of El Limón, Jalisco, until the age of 11, when his family immigrated to the United States. Zamora moved to Paris to write the great Mexican novel in Spanish. It garnered him his first international literary prize, the Binational Literary Prize for Young Novel Border of Words. He produced and directed a documentary feature, which premiered at the 2011 Oaxaca Film Fest, and received the award for Best Documentary by a Mexican Director. He has written for the Emmy-winning drama American Crime Season 3 and for Star Season 2. He's currently writing and executive producing the upcoming bio series about the Tejano singer Selena for Netflix. One of the things that I love talking about is how I landed my gig at American Crime. I think it all boils down to being prepared and ready for that opportunity when it comes. I didn't really pursue screenwriting off the bat. I had graduated from Brown University with a major in international relations, but by the time I got to my senior year, I realized that writing was my thing. I was struggling with figuring out what to do when it came to my writing, and one of the things that I decided to do was to pursue uh, prose. Um, I wanted to write a novel, and uh, as I was struggling with identity issues, or at least being a Mexican immigrant, for some reason I thought that I should be writing a novel in Spanish. Perhaps it was a way of reconciliating that identity. And so I wrote a a novel in Spanish, but uh, that took place in Paris. So I moved to Paris for many months to write that novel. And what that taught me was that I was insane. But at the same time, it taught me that writing, it really is a life commitment. It's seldom, I I think, I've ever felt that it was a profession. Uh, For me, writing, it was very clear that it was going to be my purpose and my meaning. So when I decided that it was going to be a life commitment, yes, at times I became impatient. Yes, at times you want to feel validated at a certain point. But one of the first things that I encountered was the decision to give myself time to to master the format of screenwriting. I had no qualms about going back to school and taking classes and learning everything that I could. In one of those classes, it was taught by uh, Greg Elliott. He brought in a guest lecturer, Lee Jessup, who is a career coach. And one of the things that really just made a difference about the way of approaching screenwriting or just breaking into Hollywood was if you keep at it, if you keep working, it's going to take between 3 to 12 years. Now, going back to the life commitment, to the purpose, to the meaning that I had um, set out to do, I that didn't sound too bad. I mean, when I had when you you know when you have your whole life ahead of you, two to twelve years is not that bad. And you know, in contrast with the rest of my classmates who were like devastated to hear that they could be doing this for another twelve years and not have any results, I was so happy and relieved because you are so accustomed to you of reading about, like, overnight Hollywood, like, 
oh my god they found him and he won this you know this this contest and now he's in a multi-million dollar deal like you have this overnight successes that i think are it's just not the reality of most of us most of the working writers you know are it takes a long time and a lot of determination and perseverance and patience and madness to to a certain degree because you you have to insist even though you may not know if you're going to make it or not so when I, when I heard that from Lee, I was like, phenomenal. Um, because she didn't say you can't make it. She said you will between this, between three to 12 years. So I'm like, fine, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do it in six. You know, that, that'll be my goal. And so I came out of there thinking this is a possibility. And I just have to do, keep doing what I'm doing, working on my writing, working on the script. Because at the end of the day, and for me in particular, um, it was a script that opened all the doors in my career. A particular script that I began developing at UCLA in, 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 in the classes at UCLA Extensions in the Writer's Program. I, I won the Writer's Program contest. I got second place. And so this script really, this script opened a lot of doors for me. And it always goes back to the writing. It gave me my first manager, my representation, allowed me to have representation. I went back to Lee Jessup when I was ready with the script, going through UCLA and uh, other workshops. I submitted that script to her, and she gave me feedback on it and worked on it a little bit more. That script allowed me to use it as a writing sample, and she sent it to a manager. The manager read it over the weekend, and by Sunday, he was interested in signing me. Monday... I meet with him, we have a 12-hour conversation, and after that, he asked me to sign with him. This is Jewel Ross at Salandar Management. He currently represents Barry Jenkins. Barry Jenkins won for Best Picture for Moonlight. And so, to me, this was my first you know, Hollywood break, right? So you have some sort of validation from someone highly established in the, in the industry that really likes your writing and sees potential in you as, as a writer in the long term and as a career. I meet with a lot of studios, a lot of production companies, but, you know, it did materialize into a job or a contract or a production deal. What I did know is that it was just a step further into getting there. And so um, one of the things that I continue to do is to learn, to take more classes, to get involved with networking in um, conferences and, and meeting other writers. And uh, in one of these conferences, it was NALIP, which is a Latino conference for independent producers. I met Davey Perez. And Davey Perez is a TV writer who got his break by getting accepted into the ABC Writing Fellowship uh, Program, the Writers Program at ABC and Disney. And I wanted to take his class. It was an independent class. And um, to find out what, you know, to just get to know him and additionally to just, you know, learn of what is the best way to um, make it, right? Or even, like, apply for these writing programs. And um, during that class, he got to know me. He got to know my background. He found out that uh, I'm a Mexican immigrant, that I moved to the United States at 11, that uh, six years later, I, I got accepted to a university and that I'm looking to break into Hollywood. And so when he read my material, when he got to know me, just out of the blue, he's like, you know, I like, I like, what you, I like your writing. Uh, I think you're ready. And um, just, you know, send me your cover letter. Send me your resume. Send me that script. And I'll send it over to some folks at ABC who are looking for someone maybe 
with your qualifications, with with your background, and um, you know, we'll see what happens. No promises. I know at that point that he had already worked on American Crime for two seasons, but I didn't assume it was for that show, especially being so prestigious and created by John Ridley, uh, who is the Oscar winner for Twelve Years of Slave, and and so I, I didn't really think of much of it. I just sent my material in on a Thursday. They got on on a Friday. And on a Tuesday, I get a phone call from Tommy Benjamin, the creative uh, executive um, for American Crime. And he said, hey, we love your stuff. We love your writing. I think you would be great for an interview. Come in. And my first interview was with Michael McDonald, executive producer of American Crime. And by this time, Davey had given me a heads up. It's like this year for season three, it's going to be about human trafficking. They're going to focus on the exploitations of field workers, farm workers. Uh, if you have any experience with that and, you know, you had mentioned something related to that, please bring it up. And anything that you could uh, talk about, you know, being a Mexican immigrant or if you've seen anything, anything personal, then, you know, bring it up in the interview as well. It would really, really help. And now going back to the whole life experience, right? Like my opportunity to to get into that room, to get into that interview, like that opportunity opened because I was ready. I had my resume, I had my cover letter, I had my writing sample. I was ready in the sense of writing. I came across as a professional writer. I was prepared. But then once you're in the room, then you have to show the people that are asking you because it gets very personal. You know, like some of the questions are just like, you know, it almost feels like... You're talking to a therapist. So it does get really, really personal because they want to know if you can be real, right? If you have real experiences, if you can be raw, if you can talk about the deepest, darkest stuff in a professional manner without falling apart. <laughs> because, you know, you have if a show like this that is going to go and dive into a human trafficking, I mean, I think it's, it's not going to be an easy task to do. So... They just wanted to check out where you're at uh, with that and if you can handle that. At least that was my impression. I had talked to my father. My father is a doctor in Mexico. He's a physician assistant here in the United States. And he works at a clinic in Central California where I grew up for half of my childhood. And he encountered a lot of um, field workers and uh, laborers who would tell him a lot of the abuse, a lot of the accidents, a lot of the violence that they uh, suffered at the hands of people that um, were in power, um, stealing wages, actual rape of the women, a lot of accidents happening, not being reported, no water, no bathroom breaks, uh, all sorts of crazy stuff that sounded like more of a 19th century colonization type of thing. Like it was, it was pretty awful. And I knew a lot of these things growing up that, that I, I would see them, but I just didn't realize how bad it was. And until we started talking about it and some of the things that he had to report and, you know, women coming in that, you know, again, to just be checked because they they were abused, they were sexually assaulted and um, in the field in order for them to, like, get a job. And, and of course, you have... The threat of, you know, a lot of these workers are undocumented or don't have legal status, so you, they can't really report to the police. And if they do, they'll be deported or or they just lose their job when the opportunity here. So it's, it's definitely one of those 
human trafficking like cases where where people abuse other people because they realize they have absolute power and control over them. And I think that's that was really, really important to come across in the season, but also for John really to just be able to explore in a, in a very authentic way. So when I came into the to the interview with, with Michael McDonald, I, I spoke about this. And, you know, also, you know, I got personal myself because, you know, we did come here um, when I was 11 years old. So there was a change for me. And, and at some point we were, we had to, like, work in, you know, cleaning houses and, and sell stuff in the you know flea markets and so I experienced that kind of like hard life. So when I came into the interview, I mean you have to be you have to talk about your personal challenges and a lot of emotional stuff and and being able to express that to a stranger, uh, but at the same time asking a job is is a very difficult thing. But you know when you when you have uh, come to terms with a lot of your life and you embrace it and 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 you're happy and proud because it makes you who you are and you tell the right stories because of it and you're authentic and real then you know when you when you share that that, that in my case that in a Mexican immigrant that I came to at 11 years old that um, I faced a lot of obstacles and rejections because of my sexuality and uh, and also you know, at some point, I also had to face the political and legal like repercussions of feeling undocumented, and you know, all that. Um, you know, it makes me who I am, and and being able to the first time express that in a situation where that's going to be part of the storytelling and that's going to be part of telling my truth. I think it's one of those really unfathomable moments. It's the possibility of living your dream and being able to live the most authentic, real version of yourself and be celebrated for that. When, um, by the time I got to talk to John Ridley, he also got very personal. Uh, we were able to talk about that and you know, other, my relationship with my father, with my relationship with my family, how that really shaped me when it came to deciding whether to be a writer, where to go, what stories to tell. And a week later, I had to go through another interview with another ABC executives, but ultimately, you know, I was given the job. And coming into the job, you know, feeling accomplished, but also really nervous about, whoa, like, now I'm a TV writer. Now I'm expected to perform. Like, am I going to mess it up? Just the expectations of working for people that are making great television. You find a way to get through it. Luckily, it was just a very supportive environment. And I ha- you hear a lot of stories about how writers' rooms are a lot of pressure or a lot of politics or, you know, like backstabbing and, and all of that. But, you know, I think in this case, I, I was very, very lucky to have this first experience because everyone was so supportive. Everyone was wonderful. And John really was great, encouraging you to share your ideas, bringing in pitches, taking your ideas and actually using them, and just valuing your perspective. And I think that was very satisfying and fulfilling because you're, you feel like you're contributing. You're not just like, you know, like the newbie, but you're also a voice. And I think that's important for anybody. We had a very unusual room. Where the hours were short. Um, we didn't have really boards. And uh, we tackled it in a different way. John really is a visionary, and he knew what he wanted. We were assigned two books that we were going to use as a base for uh, the season. In this case, it was a little particular because um, the first two seasons, they, they focused on a specific crime. In this one, there wasn't really a specific crime. There was an overarching theme, human trafficking, the exploitation of the vulnerable in, in terms of work and, and the modern slavery. So we had to sort of cover everything. And uh, we focused on, you know, 
three particular stories, four particular stories. One um, related to the exploitations of farm workers. Everything that we consume, vegetables, lettuce, like everything that gets in our, in our table, possibly or most likely has gone through some sort of human trafficking here in the United States. And that means near slave-like conditions. You also have uh, something that is very common. It is sex exploitation, especially of minors and the sex industry uh, by their pimps and the people that abuse them and use them for um, sex. Um, the other one that is also very common, especially when we talk to Polaris, which is the human trafficking national hotline, is the exploitation of nannies. The exploitation of nannies is really interesting because they're the most isolated workers that suffer a different kind of uh, mental breakdown because they have no one. Um, they don't have other people that they can sort of go through this awful thing with. And so they're the most isolated and they're the ones that need probably the most help when it comes to being rescued. And it, and it happens, you know, stealing their wages, passport being taken away from them, violence, physical violence, abuse, long hours, no breaks, and no payment, you know, to some degree. And so those were the main three storylines. We have the farm worker, uh, the sex worker, and the nanny being the crime under the umbrella of human trafficking and, and modern slavery. So we had to study a lot, read a lot of articles, watch a lot of documentaries, a lot of reporting. We had two books we had to dissect. We also had a lot of people coming in from the FBI, some lawyers, Polaris, which I, I mentioned was the human trafficking um, national hotline, and uh, who is compiling a database about all the cases happening now. And one of the things that we found that was just really devastating is like, how creative is a human being when it comes to the exploitation of another? And just any situation that you can think of where a man or a woman has absolute power of another individual the creative, the creativity that goes into the abuse is just um, abominable, and and we just it was it was a, I think it was just a lot to, to go through when when you were in in in, in the room and, and and talking about the stories that I think to some point, I think one of the guys from Polaris said, or I'm not quite sure if it was a lawyer or somebody, um, said, you know what, like we do this on an everyday basis and. And we deal with these cases, and perhaps you're not, you know, you're getting too much information at once. So just take a moment to take care of your mental health. Take a moment to take a breather, do whatever you need to do, work out, go to therapy or something. But just to make sure that you're paying attention to your mental health because there's a lot of terrible things coming at you. And, you know, we saw it. And I think that's why John really made the, ran the room the way he did. We were in the room from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., the longest. It was like 4 p.m. And so we all came prepared with pitches, and uh, we shared them. We talked about the storylines, and he made decisions right there and then. It was very, very efficient. We were able to plan out the eight episodes of the season in six weeks. We had an Excel sheet that more or less covered all the bullet points and plot points and things that we needed to hit in each episode. We didn't really do a board because I think that was going to take a lot of time. At some point, we eventually did, but more, more or less just to see the overall picture for other, you know, for the writers, but not necessarily as a tool in the room. So we were done fast. By the time those six, seven weeks 
more or less ended, um, we had been given assignments to write our specific episodes. Now, coming in into American Crime, I was not promised a script to write. It was more, hey, do you want to be on the show? We're not sure if we'll be able to give you a script. And I was like, hell yeah, because I just wanted to get that job. And, you know, it's not unusual where our staff writer the first year um, doesn't, get, doesn't get a script. It, that, that happens all the time. So I was prepared not to get a script. But um, And the reason why was that is because uh, this time, the season was only eight episodes versus ten, so it was a shorter season. But when I heard that, when John told us that I was going to be co-writing episode three with Janine Salinas, the other staff writer, I was just thrilled. And it was just, you know, an opportunity that, like, I thought, it's just it came too soon. Like, you know, it, it was, it just happened so fast, and, and I was just... It was an incredible thing to feel that first writing assignment. Janine and I were just co-write episode three and and have our first writing TV credit, and um, and that you know that just that's a that's a feeling that you can't really replicate. It's the first time, and there's a sense of you know validation that it's just you made it. You know you're here, and now you just have to step up and deliver. Right? <laughs> that's the second set of. Uh, challenges that you you have to face but you know we were in a good group we were in a very good environment so we didn't feel that a, we didn't feel that we were not going to make it or we were going to fail in fact we felt encouraged and, and and there was a lot of support around and so we thought we were in really good hands and, and I'm very lucky and grateful to John Reilly and Michael McDonald and everyone in in the writers room that made this happen so after that, the process was just so fast and and and, and unusual as well because um, we had we turned in our outline for episode three. John really wrote episode one and two. So when the scripts came out, we started to work on ours. And once we were assigned our episode, uh, Janine and I had to come up with some sort of like writing schedule and how we're going to divvy up the work. And this is you know particularly tricky because everyone's getting a little nervous when you put two writers that have never worked with each other to co-write something, it, you know, people get nervous. But, you know, Janine and I, she's wonderful, and I couldn't, I'm so happy to have her as a co-writer because we got along so well and our ideas were floating and, and we bestest of friends and we were able to communicate with each other clearly. So we never really had a problem. She had worked for a women's shelter, so she was more focused on that storyline, which made it very naturally and organically for her to, to develop more the social worker aspect. And I was going to focus more on the, the farm worker storyline. So we were able in a, na- in a natural way to sort of split up the storylines and then come together and then talk about it and then blend it. The process was pretty fast. You know, we weren't given very much time. We weren't, we didn't feel pressured, but uh but at the same time, we knew that we were episode three. So the rest of the writers were waiting for us to finish in order for them to pick up the storyline. And uh, at first, we were given that Excel sheet with all the plot points that we needed to hit, which is very, very basic. And then after that, we discussed the outline and some of the things that needed to happen there and how we were going to portray them based on the storylines that we had ourselves divvied up. We worked on the outline. We turned that in. And then we got feedback, and we, we revised our outline, and we turned it into the studio. We got notes, and based on those notes, we went to script. Once we went to script, we did more or less the same process. We divvied up, like, our scenes 
because we didn't do acts. We didn't do it by acts. We did it up by scenes. And we went on to write the scenes that were a little bit more close to our life experience or our background. Of course, there are some of them that, you know, we had never really experienced ourselves, so we had to divvy those up, especially when it came to the Felicity Hoffman character, Jeanette. We worked on that. We came back. We put the script together based on those scenes that we had written. We did it in 10 days, the whole putting the script together. And then after that, the revisions was just a few days. And then we read it, and um, we looked out for holes, and we had to just adjust some scenes and some, some dialogue and move some things around. We turned it into John for his pass, and then it went to studio. Once that script was turned into the studio, we had very minor notes, little things here and there, and then we went to production. Once we were in production, we were both um, on set, both writers. This time it happened to be um, in L.A., uh, the whole shoot. So it was great. Uh, we didn't have to travel to Austin, where the other seasons were filmed at. And it was interesting because um, we, were, we had like a lot of languages happening at the same time. And Janine and I, Janine is um, Peruvian, of the Peruvian descent, so she also is bilingual. So we had to sort of alternate just watching that, that Spanish and to make sure that our actors were saying the, the words correctly. We had to sort of be a kind of a language script supervisor f- for a little bit and then be a writer for another one. But, you know, it was a wonderful process because we loved it. And, you know, having a bilingual scene, it's a lot of fun. But it got a little tricky when we had a scene in Nahuatl, which is a Native American language, an indigenous language from Mexico, one of the oldest and the most spoken in in that country. We wanted to portray that, those obstacles, those challenges, how hard it is sometimes to even just communicate that you're going through something. The scene was really, was really tricky, but it was just so fulfilling and rewarding because we had to contact an expert in the Nahuatl language and uh, we actually did find one here at UCLA. Um, Kevin Tarasiano helped us with that, he used a specific variation of Nahuatl that um, most of the speakers use today in Mexico, but also it's the same sort of variation that the Aztecs used um, in the 1500s. So to me, that was just a, a beautiful sort of a reference. And also ironic, great civilization now is being spoken by people being so oppressed. And, so, and that was part of the whole, like, theme of the production and goal of the production is like we want the stories even though this is a show and it's fiction we wanted to to make them as real and as raw and as authentic as possible one of the things that i am very grateful about and one of the things i think that it's important that we need more in today's television in order for us to get real stories i think i think it's important to reach out to a diverse um, room when it comes to telling different kinds of stories John hired a lot of people that came from different walks of life, different demographics and ethnic backgrounds. Six out of the eight directors were women. And I think it's important to give an opportunity to people that have been marginalized or have not had the same representation when it comes to writing or acting or directing in television in Hollywood. Because I think it gives it a, a different angle, an additional shade. And you see it. The stories come through and they're authentic, and they're real, and they're valuable, and they're emotional. And, and you know, I really do think that these are the stories that last, and uh, they make it to the next century. And, I, and if we're going to learn from each other, I think that the best way to do that is by having inclusion, having other people be able to contribute to the storytelling.
There's a moment in episode three that is very personal to me, mostly because it was a scene that was basically left untouched by John that I had written. And it's a very emotional scene. Kimara, uh, Regina King's character, speaks to her ex, and she's asking him if he could be her sperm donor because she wants to have a baby. And this is particularly emotional for me for several reasons. One, all the dialogue and all the setup is there. It's all mine, if I could say that. But also, when you see an actress like Regina King of that caliber perform your scene, say your words, get so emotional and deliver that kind of performance, it's just... I mean, I couldn't hold back tears myself because it it represented a really important moment for me. It, it represents all the hard work, all the determination, all the years, that purpose, that meaning that I set out to do when I decided to be a writer. I've been given a chance to do what I love, and then other people are celebrating that with their performance and their hard work. And so I think I think that's just I think that's why people are so in love with with storytelling. It's it's just so powerful. It's spiritual. It, like it it just it it just gets you and your in your deepest level and 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 I just couldn't hold back, you know. Uh when it comes to like I was like a mess. I was like she was crying, I was crying. My co-writer was crying. Everyone was silent. It it, it was just a wonderful experience because it's just uh, I I couldn't if any you know if a writer ever experiences that you know just hold on to that because you have to sometimes remind yourself that that's why you do it. Um, those are the those are the important moments. Yeah, the money, the career, the glory, the you know whatever that I'm sure that'll come or not. Who cares? But I think that's the moment that gives you drive I think that gives you meaning at least for me and um, and when when things get tough when things get you know business like and, and you have to worry about firing people or changing agents or whatever it is it's, it's like I go, go back to that moment and I go back to that that scene and and it remind myself this is what you do it you love telling stories that mean something that touch people that could even make a social change. I mean, this, we're talking about human trafficking and shedding light on people that never have the time of day to be on prime time and tell their stories, you know, even if it's painful, even if it's hard, you know, and um, that's a risk that that, that you're taking and, and, and you're putting yourself out there. And, and it's just I don't think I would have it any other way, you know, and um, and that's a that's a huge thing that was I was given to and and I'm grateful for. And and, and it's a huge thing that I want to keep on doing. The Right Process is produced by me, Charlie Jensen, at the UCLA Extension Studio. Audio support and editing were provided by Jamie Moss, Eileen Keegan and Hannah Sutherland. For more information on the Writers Program, visit writers.uclaextension.edu.